right, 2 Kings chapter number 13, verse number 1. The Bible said, In the three and twentieth year of Josiah, the son of Ahaziah, king of Judah, Jehoaz, the son of Jehu, began to reign over Israel and Samaria and reigned seventeen years. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord and followed the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which made Israel to sin and departed not therefrom. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he delivered them into the hand of Hazel, king of Syria, and into the hand of Ben-Hadon, the son of Hazel, all their days. And Jehoaz besought the Lord, and the Lord hearkened unto him, for he saw the oppression of Israel, because the king of Syria oppressed them. And the Lord gave Israel a savior, so that they went out from under the hand of the Syrians, and the children of Israel dwelt in their tents as before time. Nevertheless, they departed not from the sins of the house of Jeroboam, who made Israel to sin, but walked therein, and there remained the grove also in Samaria. Neither did he leave of the people of Jehoaz, but fifty horsemen, and ten chariots, and ten thousand footmen. For the king of Syria had destroyed them, and had made them like the dust by threshing. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoaz, and all that he did, and his might, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? And Jehoaz slept with his fathers, and they buried him in Samaria, and Josiah, his son, reigned in his stead. Heavenly Father, Lord, I do pray that you'll help us these next few moments. I pray the Holy Spirit would have his will and way in this service. Lord, I ask you this morning to give us a special touch and do the work that no man can do. I don't know the needs that are in this building, but God, you know what things we have need of before we even ask. And I pray that you'll bless the reading of thy word. May the Spirit of God... Uh, Lord, be in our midst, and we'll praise you for what you do. In Jesus' name we do pray, amen and amen. You can be seated this morning. I want you to notice with me here in verse number uh, one, uh, this king by the name of Jehoaz. And when we think about this king this morning, I want you to see three quick things, and then we'll move right into the message. First of all, in verse number one, I want you to see his reign. The Bible uh, talks about this king and how that he reigned for 17 years. Now, it mentions the lineage of his reign. It says that he was the son of Jehu. And so Jehoaz is the 11th king, and he is the first son, he's the son of Jehu, but he is the first king of Jehu's dynasty. And so that's the lineage of this king. I think it's important because when you think about this king, he's the king of Israel. Uh, that would be the northern kingdom and most of those kings were evil kings and so we see his reign. We see the lineage of his reign. We see the location of his reign. The Bible said that he reigned in Samaria. Samaria was the capital of Israel, that northern part of that kingdom. It was halfway between uh, uh, Galilee and between, uh, uh, between uh, Galilee and between uh, uh, where you went down to, to Judah where the, uh, the southern kingdom was at. And so uh, we find the location of his reign. We see the length of his reign. He reigned for 17 years. Now, you say, preacher, why uh, is that so relevant this morning? Well, I will think you'll see that here in just a moment because we not only notice his reign, but when we get to verse number two, I want you to see his rebellion uh, because the Bible highlights the rebellion of this king. Notice with me in verse number two, the choice of his rebellion. The Bible said, and he 
did that which was evil. I want to tell you, every man has a choice this morning and he can either do good or he can do evil. He can do right or he can do wrong. There's a lot of people that do evil and they want to blame evil on others. They, they want to blame their sin and the things that they do on their past or they want to blame it on their raising or they want to say, well, I did it because of this person or that person. They'll even say the devil made me do it. And I want to tell you, the devil may tempt you, but the devil can't make you do anything. You have to make a conscious choice. And here, the Bible is clear that he made a, a choice. He did that which was evil. So we see the choice of his rebellion. And then I want you to notice not only the choice, but I want you to see here the consideration of his rebellion. The Bible said he did that which was evil. Now notice this, in the sight of the Lord. Amen. You see, the one that was estimating his rebellion was not his princes. It was not those uh, that, that were under him. It was not his servants. It was not even those that was living uh, in, in the nation of Israel. But he did that which was evil in the sight of God. I want to tell you tonight, or this morning, the Bible said in Proverbs chapter 15 and verse number three, that the eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good. There may be a lot of people that pat you on the back and say that what you're doing is okay. They may tell you that it's right. We live in a day when they call good evil and evil good. And if you want somebody to prop up your sin and tell you what you're doing is okay, it's sad to say, but you can go to a lot of churches and find people, even preachers, that'll tell you it's okay to drink, to gamble, uh, to live in adultery, to live any way you want to, uh, to divorce and remarry. They'll tell you anything's okay. But I'll tell you, listen, the one that it counts uh, is my friend, the one that sees everything. How does God see the way we're living? How does God view the things that we're doing? The consideration, the one that we should ma that matters should matter the most to us uh, is the Lord himself, amen? What does God have to say about what we're doing? I see the consideration of, it, of his rebellion, the choice of his rebellion, the course of his rebellion. Notice the Bible says that he followed the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. Why is that important this morning? It's important because Jeroboam was that first king of the northern kingdom. He was the one responsible for plunging them into idolatry and bringing them down that path of sin. But when we get to this 11th ruler here, what we notice is, is that he is following the footsteps of Jeroboam. And the principle that we ought to draw from that this morning is that when we rebel against God, we never rebel alone, but we always take somebody with us, amen? When you make a choice to go away from God and to do something you're not supposed to and you rebel against the God-given authority that is in your life, uh, you mark it down, you're leading someone, you're influencing someone and when you stand before God and I stand before God, if we've rebelled against him, we'll not only give an account for what we have done but we'll give an account for who else we have influenced uh, to go down that way. I've seen people get out of church and when they get out of church, you know what they gotta do? They gotta try their dead level best to take some somebody with them, amen? They can't ever quit and go out themselves into sin. You know why? Because they're miserable if they're saved and they know they're ruining their life and they want somebody else to ruin theirs with them, amen? I'm telling you when people get out of church and go away from God and you see them out there drinking, you see them out there partying, you see them out there living against things that they once stood against, now they're doing those things. Don't you be a fool and follow their pathway. Don't you go down that course.
divorce. Listen, don't you flirt with what they're doing. I don't care how many pictures they post online. I don't care how much they look like they're having a good time. If they're saved by the grace of God, there's gonna be, listen, stripes of chastisement on their life. And if they can go out there and be happier out there than they were in here, you mark it down. They're not saved and they don't belong to God. Amen. That's what the book says, amen. The course of his rebellion, the consistency of his rebellion, the Bible said that he departed not therefrom. He was bent on a course of rebellion. I see his rebellion. I see his reign. I see his retribution. The Bible said in verse number three, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. Because of what the king did, God was not only upset with the king, but he was upset with Israel. Because the leadership led the the nation down the wrong course. It's seen in the anger that is displayed. Nobody in the kingdom was mad, but God was upset. I think we ought to be concerned about the things that upset God. And this morning, as it is in this text, God is more upset with the sinfulness of saints than he is the sinfulness of sinners. In this text, he's mad, he's upset, he's angry. It's the anger that is displayed. We see the retribution, the action that is done. God takes swift action. He delivered them into the hands of Hazel, king of Syria, and into the hands of Benadad, the son of Hazel. So God lets them go captive because of their sin, because of the rebellion. You know what? Rebellion will never go unpunished. Rebellion will always bring captivity in people's life. The devil tries to tell you, if you get out there and rebel, you're gonna live free, that Every rebel lives a free life. No, I want to tell you, every rebel lives a slave and lives a captive life. As we see in this text, they're taken captive because they made God angry and rebelled against him. I want to preach a few minutes this morning on this subject, on the life of a rebel. The life of a rebel. That's what King Jehoaz was. He was a rebel. And when we get to verse number four, down to verse number nine, we're going to see some things concerning the life of Jehoaz. I want to ask you this morning, are you a rebel? Have you rebelled against God? You say, now preacher, I go to church. I told a King James Bible. Uh, listen, I'm not a rebel. I'm going to tell you there's just been just as many people rebelled, my friend, on the church pew as what they have rebelled out there uh, living out in this world. I've seen just as much rebellion in church as I've seen it out of church. You don't have to listen right a Harley and you don't have to have a hell's angel jacket on uh, to be classified a rebel. Amen. I'm telling you if the Holy Ghost comes to your pew this morning if he deals with you about something in your heart of hearts uh, and if you stiffen up and tighten up and say no to him, friend that is the definition of a rebel. Whether saved or whether lost this morning, how we should all be today is that we ought to be so sensitive we ought to be so tender that whatever the Holy Ghost bids us to do, we ought to be willing to do it in this invitation. We ought to be willing to do it in this service. We ought to be willing to do it this day. I'm saying, my friend, we ought to be ready to do what he asked us to do this morning. We live in a time when people are bent to do their own way. They don't want to do what God wants them to do. As I've said before, there's plenty of places and there's plenty of people that will justify almost anything to make you feel good about what you're doing. I've never seen a day This is how far we've come before I go any further. We've come so far that people now can hold a Budweiser in one hand and a Bible in the other. They can drink their Budweiser 
and say, bear is great and God is good. That's how warped our society is today. They can lay out a church, never darken the door of a church and talk about how much they love God and how much God loves them. Now, no doubt God loves them. But the Bible says, if you love me, Keep my commandments. You say, Brother Gravely, do you love God? I love him, but I don't know how much I love him because, listen, my love for him is displayed by my obedience to him. There's a lot of people living out neck deep in sin. Listen, they'll get out there and waller in sin and they'll live any old way, but just because they can talk the lingo and say the things they want you to think, their son, hey, listen, they won't darken the door of a church, but they'll have a devotion with God every morning and talk about how good God is in their devotion. You're crippled too high for crutches if you believe that. I'm telling you the God that I serve and the Holy Ghost that lives inside of me. I can just think about doing something wrong and he'll warn me. He'll tell me don't do that. And I don't always listen to him. Sometimes I disobey him and I'm ashamed to even say that but the truth is the truth. I'll tell you when I disobey God and he's given me a warning. Listen, he loves me too much to let me just go out there and live any way I want to. I'll tell you what God will do. He'll take you to the woodshed. He'll put some marks of identity on your bottom. Amen. He'll let you know that you belong to him and he belongs to you and he won't let you live any way you want to. And if you don't listen to that, 1 John 5 and verse number 16 said there is a sin unto death. We're not to pray for that sin unto death, but you can reach the point where God says, okay, it's just time for you to come home. Amen. I'm saying this morning, the life of a rebel is a short life if they're saved. And those that can live in rebellion for years do not know the God that we know this morning. Notice very quickly these things and we'll be through. I want you to see the desperation of the king in verse number four. And Joaz besought the Lord and the Lord hearkened unto him. Why would God listen to him? For he saw the oppression of Israel because the king of Syria oppressed them. What we have in verse number four is the desperation of this king and the mercy of God. God looks forth this king he like so many people he knows he's in captivity he's in a corner God has put him in a place that his rebellion has brought him to and he desperately cries out to God now I want to be able to say that he repented and he got right with God but as you see a little bit later he goes right back to his way of living in other words he's like some people they'll run to church for a little fire insurance they'll run to church and use God as a spare time maybe when they get in trouble and then when the trouble's gone. They go back to their sinful and their wicked living. That's kindly how this king was here. He's in a desperate situation. So he thought why not try church? Why not try God? Why not try religion? But God is so merciful. He looks down and see the oppression of Israel and God in tender compassion and mercy he relieves them of that oppression. You know I'm glad God is a merciful God. He's a loving God. As we see in verse number three, he's a God of wrath, a God of anger. But in the very next verse, we find that he's a God of mercy and he's a God of compassion. I'm saying if you're here this morning and you're out of the will of God and you rebelled against God, there is mercy for you this morning. There is compassion. You don't have to live under the iron fist of God. You can get under the shadow of his wings. You can get under his tender mercy. You say, but Brother Gravely, I've done a lot of things I've been ashamed of. And we all. But I'm telling you this morning, God said in that book, in the book of Romans, where sin doth abound grace doth much more abound. You're never so far gone that if you'll come and you'll humble yourself that God won't take you up with tender arms of love and mercy and 
compassion this morning. Do you know what you're going to have to do? You're going to have to humble yourself. You have to bow your head and bend your knee. I'll tell you, I just decided to hit it head on in this society. Because we're living in a day when used to you could preach to sinners and they'd raise their hand and say, I'm lost, I need to be saved. Or they'd bow their head in shame because they knew they were doing things that God wasn't pleased with. What has changed in our society? Why are people no longer that way anymore? I'll tell you why, I've had a long time to think about it. Because years ago, and it hadn't been that many years ago, when people were out doing, living in sin and doing wrong and living a rebellious life, there was always somebody that would come along with compassion and say, you know, you need to get right with God. You know what you're doing God's not pleased with. You know the way that you're living is gonna take you down a road that's gonna ruin your life. There was people that would come along and say, you know, that's wrong, that's sinful. They were taught that as a child, that, that this is wrong and that, that you ought to not live that way and, and don't live like a dog. You, we used to hear things like that. And listen, uh, don't shack up in sin with somebody and live like a dog. We, we heard preaching like that. Oh, but society has changed altogether now. We've got a generation that is coming up that they've been told everything is okay. And if anybody talks to you about the way you're living, listen, we ought to shame on them for coming to you in concern and what you're doing, there's nothing wrong with the way that you're living. So now you've got a generation. They've never felt guilt about anything. I'll tell you what they need to be, what needs to happen. They need to get under the sound of the word of God. They need to get under the preaching of the word of God. They need the Holy Ghost to come. You can go to the average church today and never feel nothing, amen? Never get condemned about anything. Never feel the breeze from another world sweep across your soul. You come as you are and you leave as you were because you're told the way you're doing is a-okay. I thank God for when I was a teenager lost out in sin. I went to a little old storefront church one Sunday morning and a man of God got up full of the Holy Ghost. He took that old black back book and he preached to everybody in that building like that's going to hell and everybody needed to be saved. I tell you what happened for the first time in my life. I realized I was on the wrong side. I realized that my sins was sending me to a highway to hell and I could not pull myself up by my own bootstraps and the same man that preached to me and the same Holy Ghost that hung me out of hell, over hell appointed me to Calvary and showed me a bloody cross showed me a dying Savior showed me a loving God and I knew that I needed to be saved, hallelujah and at 13 years old I knew I was a rebel without God I'd never drank, smoked, dope, never lived out in the, never committed adultery, never lived out, committed fornication, but I was a lost ball in high weeds on the way to hell. I knew I was lost. I knew I needed to be saved. I'll tell you, it didn't make me mad. I thank God for the preacher. I thank God for a man that would get up and care more about my soul than a paycheck, care more about my soul than a number on the board. He preached with a burden and he loved me to the shadow of the cross. Hallelujah. See, the Bible says open rebuke is better. It's better than secret love. When you tell a rebel what they're doing is okay, you don't love them. You're enabling them to keep on doing what they're doing. The desperation of the king, the deliverance of the king. Verse five, God delivers them. His mercy. The Lord gave Israel a savior. Now we know that's a small s, so it's not the savior, it's a savior. 
Someone that was raised up, the Bible says here, God raised someone up and they went out under the hand of the Syrians and the children of Israel dwelt in their tents as before time, the deliverance. But notice the disobedience of the king in verse six. Nevertheless, they departed not from the sins of the house of Jeroboam who made Israel sin, but walked therein. There remained the grove also in Samaria. You know what's amazing about verse number six? Is that after this king cries out and God shows mercy and brings deliverance, they go right back into idolatry. They go right back to worshiping the God of Baal. That's what that grove was. It was to the the God of Baal. and, And they would go back into that awful, wicked, sinful worship of idolatry. They went right back to their sinful living. I tell you, when people really get right with God, they're not perfect, they're not sinless, but they won't go back into the things that they used to do. You say, but preacher, can they not slip back in? I know anybody can slip back into into sin. I could slip back into sin. You could slip back into sin. You're capable of doing anything after you got saved that you were capable of doing before you got saved. But the difference is this. Once you get right with God, you don't want to live that way anymore. You want to live for God. You want to please him. And when you do wrong, it grieves you. But I'll tell you, a rebel just, listen, will stiffen their jaw and stiffen their neck and say, I'm not going to that altar. I'm not getting saved. Uh, Who does that preacher think he is to preach to me like that? I want to tell you, dear ma'am, dear sir, it's not me that's getting under your skin this morning. I'm just delivering the message that God put on my heart to preach. I can't tell you in this building who's right with God and who's not right with God. But what I can tell you, if you're uncomfortable right now, it's not me making you uncomfortable. And I want you to recognize that. You're a blessed individual. It's the Holy Ghost that's come to where you are. He's dealing with your heart right now. And you'd be wise not to stiffen toward that. You'd be wise to turn toward him. Don't run from him, but run to him this morning and say, oh God, you're right. I want to side with you against myself. I am a rebel. I am lost. I do need to be saved. Oh, if you'll side with God against yourself, there'll be deliverance for you. Hallelujah. That's all you got to do. That's all you got to do. You say, well, preacher, I want to get right with God. I feel so terrible. How You ought to feel terrible. Is that right? But I ain't come to church to feel bad. I come to church to feel good. Sometimes you gotta feel real bad before you can feel real good. Amen. I'll tell you, sometimes you gotta let the Holy Ghost show you what's wrong, show you where you're at with God. And when you see that, don't get mad at the preacher. Preacher has no idea where you're at, but God knew you'd be here. You're here by divine appointment this morning. You're under the sound of the word of God, not my word, but I'm just telling you what God said in this book. I'm telling you if God deals with your heart, what you need to do is wave that old white flag and just come to God and say, God, you're absolutely right and I'm absolutely wrong and just fall headlong in the mercy of God. Don't rebel. I'll tell you, repent, amen. Don't repel, but repent. And if you'll repent, you know what God will do? He'll grant you mercy and he'll show you grace and he'll rescue your soul. But you gotta be willing to repent this morning. Repent. The disobedience, the depletion. Look what happened to Jehoaz in verse seven. Neither did he leave of the people of Jehoaz, but 50 horsemen. 10 chariots, 10,000 footmen. For the king of Syria had destroyed them and had made them like the dust by the threshing. Hear me this morning. 
if God speaks to you and you leave, and you go out there and you, in your heart, you shake your fist in the face of God and say, well, I tell you one thing, I'll never go back to that church. I'll never, you know, I had a lady say that one time and she finally did come back and one of her children got saved. She said, I'll never come back. About three years later, she came back and her other child got saved. You know what? I think God was trying to tell her something. She never came back again. Rebel without a cause. There are people tonight or this morning in hell because they rebelled against God. There are people, they're saved, but they're in an early grave because they rebelled. You know the town that I'm from, you could take you to the street corner right there where the courthouse is, right in, right in town. I used to go there right, out, right from the courthouse to the, to, the, to the right or to the left if you're standing there and looking at the front of the courthouse. There's a building now, it's an office building, but it used to be the old jail. And I go down there on Monday nights and preach in that jail. I was sitting down there one Monday night and a preacher came down with me. We were sitting on the front porch waiting to go in. And he said, you see right down there on the corner, there's a red light. He said, years ago when I was a young man, he was well up in his 60s at that point, he said, there was a preacher stood there. And on that street corner, Brother Jack, he was preaching against alcohol. And one of the deacons of a prominent church in our town, he was on the council and he was pushing for alcohol. And this preacher was standing there and he was preaching against it. And one of those deacons was standing there arguing with him and there's a group of people there. And he put his hands on the man of God. And he backed up. And by that afternoon, that man had had a massive heart attack and was gone into eternity. I'm telling you, it's a serious thing to rebel. You know why we don't see more of that today? I'm going to tell you why. We got a lot of hirelings in our pulpits today. They're not called to God. I'm convinced, and I'm not being critical. I'm being honest. There's a lot of people that ain't never been called to God to preach. I ain't much of a preacher, but I'm going to tell you one thing. I know like I know I'm saved, and like I'm standing on this pulpit, this platform, this bar, I know I've been called of God to preach. And this morning, I want you to hear me, sinner. Please don't rebel against God. There's no sin worth holding on to to take your soul to hell. Young person, you hear me this morning. Don't you stiffen on God sitting in church. I pray that you've not heard my voice. Maybe some young person has been in this church so long that you've heard my voice to the point that you don't hear the voice of God I'm telling you, I, I'm not God this morning. I'm not saying that. I'm telling you, look beyond this whole clay tabernacle this morning. Look beyond this whole faltering voice that you're hearing right now. Tune into another world. Listen to the word of God. Listen to the voice of God. I'm telling you, God brought this king down to nothing. He brought this nation down to nothing. You know what God's doing to this country? He's setting it on fire on one end. He's 
turning it upside down with a whirlwind on the other end and he's raining snow down by the feet on the other side. This world is so blind, this country is so blind that they cannot see that the judgment of God is on this land. You don't murder unborn babies and legalize pornography and legalize same-sex marriages and adultery and fornication and listen, drinking and gambling and get by with it just as God judged the rebellious king and rebellious nation then. He's doing it right now before our very eyes. Oh, hear me, sinner. Come while you can. Run to Jesus. Run by way of the cross and get saved by the grace of God this morning. The depletion. What is God going to have to do to get your attention? What is God going to have to subtract from your life? Oh, my soul. You read it, it's in verse seven. I didn't make it up. He depleted everything that king had. What's God? You you don't hear preaching much anymore on that, do you? Oh, preacher, God wouldn't take my baby, would he? Oh, preacher, God wouldn't take my spouse, would he? I'm not telling you he will, but I'm not going to stand here and tell you he won't. I could tell you a lot of stories where he has, but I won't bore you with them this morning. We probably all know people like that. I know a man and woman, that my wife and I know, that committed adultery. The man committed adultery. Let me back up. She didn't. He did. But she was going to get even with him. She met a man, and she was going to commit adultery. But on her way to do what she was going to do, her life was taken, and she was killed. I want to tell you this morning, you can't get by with sin. That's a holy hush this morning in this building. And it ought to be. You rebel against God. I know a man, a boy that I went to school with. I knocked on his door one day, two blocks from the church I used to pastor. A boy that, that uh, he was every bit... Brother Chris, he was every bit the size of you. He was always real broad and tall, played football. Knocked on the door one day on visitation. had no idea he lived there. We went to school together. I heard it. I could hear somebody coming. It would take a few minutes to open that door. Finally, he opened that door, and it was him, and he was in a wheelchair. I was shocked to see him, and I was really shocked to see him in a wheelchair. And when I saw him, I was holding a little testament. And when he saw me, he went to crying. I said, Paul, it's good to see you. He started crying. He said, I heard you was a preacher. I said, yeah. I said, in fact, I pastor this church right down the road here, just a couple blocks from you. I said, are you right with God? He said, oh, I'm right with God. He said, I, he said, I saved when I was nine years old. He said, but when I got 18, he said, I got out in some sin. Got in an automobile accident. He said, I'm paralyzed from the waist down. I said, I hate to hear that. He said, there's not a day I don't think about it. And he told me this. He said, Brother Rick, he said, God put me in this wheelchair. He said, I wouldn't listen. He said, my mama tried to talk to me. 
She prayed for me. He said, my daddy tried to talk to me. He said, I was big. I was tall. I was, gonna, I was strong. I was going to do what I wanted to do. He said, that lasted about six months. I believe he's saved. What's God going to have to do to get your attention? He you said, you're trying to scare me every bit if I could. I think some people, I think we're living in a society that needs to be scared. You can call it fear mongering, you can call it what you want to. I'm telling you, we're living in a society. I praise God for the preaching. It's the mercy of God. We just talked about it before church. And I praise God for the preaching. God, let us grow up and hear men that preach like this. And I'm not comparing myself to them by no means, but I thank God for preachers. They didn't care what some liberal outfit said about them. They didn't care what somebody thought about them. All they cared about was keeping somebody out of sin and the snares of the devil. And I'll tell you, I'm glad to let some liberal outfit go off and talk about us and talk about this church. If it'll get somebody down this aisle this morning and right with God, I'm telling you this morning, you can't go out and live like a dog and not reap what you sow in this life, friend. I'm telling you, if you're truly saved, there's a high price to pay. And if you can get out there and do it and it not bother you, you've never been saved. Notice two quick things and I'm done. Notice the deeds of the king. Verse eight, the rest of the acts of Jehoahaz and all that he did all that he did and his might, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles? God has a complete record, all that he did. He has a written record. They're written in the books. He has a permanent record and he has a just record. The deeds, then I want you to notice the last verse, verse number nine, as they get us a song ready. I want you to see the death of the king. And Jehoahaz slept with his fathers and they buried him in Samaria. I thought about that verse. The king dies and they bury him in Samaria. No doubt at his funeral there were people that were, that were weeping. They would hire mourners in those days. There was people paid to weep over him. No doubt at his funeral, it was an elaborate funeral. No doubt many had much kind things to say about this king. He was the king. No doubt it was a funeral to be remembered. But you know what? Every rebel dies. He died like everybody else. And at his funeral, you know, I, can't, I, I just can't do this. I can't get up at a funeral of someone that's never went to church a day in their life. They've lived like the devil and preach them into heaven. I, my heart breaks for the family. I'm not going to preach them into hell. That family's heart is broken. But I can't preach them into heaven. He said, what do you do? I just preach the gospel. But I've seen that done, and it's foolish, isn't it? Because nobody sitting in that building believes what that preacher is trying to convince them of. You can't lean toward hell all your life, and when it comes time to die, go to heaven. You say, what about the thief on the cross? Oh, I'm not telling you there's not some deathbed repentances, but I'm telling you there's one 
There's one. Most of them die as they lived. Why would you want to gamble with your deathbed when you don't even know how it's going to be and when it's going to be? You say, preacher, can somebody get saved on their deathbed? Maybe. Possibly. But not many. Let's face the facts. You reject God all your life and it comes time to die. The chances of you hearing His voice then, you may not even be competent to hear that voice. You better get in while you can. You better come by way of the cross. This morning, I don't want anybody here to go to hell. Neither does this church. I don't want a young person to go to hell. I don't want a middle-aged person to go to hell. I don't want a teenager to go. I don't want an adult. I don't want anybody to go to hell. I don't want an older person to go to hell. Why don't you get saved? The older you get, the harder it's going to get for you to get saved. You say, preacher, can't old people get saved? Oh, sure they can. I'll tell you, the more you say no to the Holy Ghost, the harder that heart gets. And the easier it is to say no and the harder it is to say yes. It's not that God can't save you in your older years. It's just the older you get, the pride of life really takes over. I knocked on a man's door one day. My wife was with me. He had an old roadmaster. And that car, I'd see it go up and down. He had it for years. I saw it as a kid. And I knocked on his door one day and we was talking to him about that, that car. And um, he was just kind as to be. And I turned that conversation from that car to his soul. And when I said to him, I said, sir, I said, I really like your car. But I said, I wanted to ask you this. I said, we live down the street here. I said, we're just coming up down the road just trying to invite our neighbors to church. And I'm going to tell you, that man, as kind as he was, if I ever seen the devil come out of anybody, I watched his lip go to quivering. His hand go to shaking. He said, let me tell you something, young man. He said, I have every intention to go to hell. He said, and I'm not going to church. And he did. What about you? I bet if you could bring him back right now, things would be different. What about you this morning as we stand?